Hi, beautiful fam. I hope you have been loving season three of Ceremony Circle Podcast. I know many of you have listened devotedly to every single episode, but for anyone new here, I am your host, shaman, and author of the best-selling book and deck, Animal Power, Allison Charles Story. And today's episode brings with it such a unique and beautiful texture as you'll get to meet a personal friend and my personal guitar teacher, Melissa Reeves. Melissa is also a transformational facilitator, lifelong musician, doula, and gatherer. Melissa's passion is to create space for people to heal through reclaiming the communal practices of song, ceremony, and shared family life. And I will, of course, leave all the big magic to our actual ceremonial conversation time. But a few of the mystical gems we dive into today are Melissa very vulnerably sharing about a pivotal healing crisis and spiritual awakening, how being the oldest of 10 kids who were homeschooled on a farm in northern Canada shaped her, how she is the student of a student of a student of a student of perhaps the most revered musical composer of all time. Talk about a lineage that I somehow, even though I don't take piano lessons, I feel like I have gotten looped into from being a student of Melissa. And it's really incredible. And along those lines, we talk about music as medicine, how you can create it too. She shares tips for some first steps to get going if singing and playing instruments has been calling to you, but you're just not clear on how to begin. And how about embodiment? It's a word you've heard a trillion times here. And she shares her take on what embodiment is, why it's so important that she actually became an embodiment facilitator. And she even generously immerses us in a closing ceremony circle practice of embodiment that can potentially open up some life-changing realizations for you. I know it did for me, and I will share all about that at the close of today's show. All right, fam, the circle and sacred grand fire are ready for us all. So let's head into music as medicine and the paradox and profound gifts from loss with Melissa Reeves. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Here we are. Hello. Welcome back to my home. Thank you. It's really good to be here. And for everyone joining us, you are now meeting my music teacher. (laughs) When I was just tuning in, when we were doing our little grounding breath a moment ago, that that's what came to me. And I was like, oh, it's so, it's cool and it's cute. Like I haven't had a music teacher since Mm -hmm. I was in, you know, like middle school, you know, and now at 43, I have my first music teacher. It's such an honor to have it be you. It's such an honor for it to be me and for it to be you. It's funny because I also haven't had a music teacher in a long time, but I do again right now. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm working with this voice coach that I'm really really enjoying. So cool. Yeah. Are they, are you doing remote or are they it's remote? remote. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's in Canada. Oh, cool. So, okay. Right then it put a fork in the road. We could start with the Canada route <laughs> or we could keep on the music train tuning in. Where do I want our choo-choo train to go? I think let's keep going on the music train just because it's so present for me. 
Mm-hmm. And I've shared, you know, just casually in some other interviews that I've been taking guitar lessons for anyone new to the show. And maybe this is your first episode. So much has been changing in my life, especially over the last year and what has just been really entering into my field so clearly is for me to just simplify and relax more and play more and be creative in new ways. And after or during sitting in a medicine ceremony, a sacred plant medicine ceremony that Luke and I attended a number of months ago, one of the main messages that came through during that weekend the grandmother medicine just kept pointing me to one of the facilitators who was a woman and she was playing guitar a -hmm. lot through the ceremony. And it just kept taking my gaze to her and to that instrument. And I was, um, a little surprised just because even though I'm very musically oriented, Mm -hmm. I had never felt a specific pull to the guitar and yet that weekend, it there was a different, unexpected resonance that was occurring. And then it was so funny. I'll never forget when you and I were at that same going away party mm-hmm. for some friends here in Texas. And I'm sitting, talking to Melissa, and I'm like, you know... I just am feeling really cold to learn guitar and Luke offered to be my teacher, but you know, he's got so much going on and I'm going on rambling, rambling, rambling. And then she just, there's a slight pause. And, and you said to me, well, you know, I could teach you. And I had completely <laughs> somehow forgotten that your whole, like your whole life, you've been involved in music yeah. on, a, on like on very like professional devoted levels. So I would love for you to start to take us into those waters a bit. How did that begin for you? And did it have anything to do with you being the oldest of 10 kids and being homeschooled? Like, did you guys have a lot of instruments around the house? Yeah. I mean, yes and no. My, my dad was really musical and I grew up in a you know, very kind of traditional evangelical small town setting. And my dad was a worship leader at church. And I think I was about probably nine or 10 when my parents said, okay, you're going to do piano lessons. And we, we had a piano and I had, you know, tinkered around on it, but never had lessons. And they said, you have to do it for three years. And after that, it's your choice. Mm. But three years is kind of the, you know, the And how did that feel for you at that age? Like when they said that, did that feel good or did you feel resistance or? I don't think I felt resistance. Although I, I think even them saying you have to do it for three years, I was, I was pretty strong built Mm -hmm. as a child. So I think there was a little bit of resistance maybe just to the, you know, the, the mandatory quality of it, but they were so smart because I think that there were, there were so many points in the first, maybe one to two years where I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is just too much, you know, too much work. And I, and I had a really beautiful teacher who was, I think I shared with you recently, the lineage of my of my musical Please training. share it here because yeah. it's so cool. I came home and told Luke. So. Yeah. So my, my piano teacher was a student of a student of a student of a student, maybe one more student of Beethoven. And so there was just this really deep lineage. She was very, very 
very talented and skilled both as a musician and performer, but also as a teacher. But she had this really beautiful, I think, rare quality in that she could both teach and and transmit the, you know, the classical modality of, of, you know, being a very technical proficient musician, but also had this really beautiful, open improvisational capacity and ability to see that and nurture that in her students. And I was one of those students that both really enjoyed or came to enjoy the classical, you know, elements of my, of my study, but also was really like, I just, you know, I just want to play and sing and, you know, riff and improvise and make music. And she was really able to hold space for both of those journeys, which I think was unique. I think what's intriguing in me hearing this again is just, of course, you know, the divine perfection of all things and how wonderfully, at least from my perspective, that worked out for you knowing you the way I do as a medicine woman and and so deeply steeped in so many different spiritual modalities and, and ways and being trained in that way. But yet I also view you as a highly professional musician and music teacher. So the fact that from that young of age, you were able to cultivate and hold both containers because the way in which we're working together is more of that, like, be a channel, be a sacred yeah. vessel, an instrument, just like flow and create with the divine. Mm-hmm. But I love how technical you're able to be with me. So I'm grateful that yeah. somehow I got linked into this magical lineage that you were trained in. Yeah, it, it does feel really special. And, and my journey as it continued, you know, I, through my teens, I continued to study the, you know, the classical route, the theory route, you know, going on to perform and compete and, you know, various, I mean, we're talking about a relatively small pool of, you know, Northern Canadian (laughs) musicians, but, you know, I mean, at the sort of height of my, of my study, I mean, gosh, thinking back on those days, it's almost hard to imagine I would practice for eight to 10 hours a day. I mean, so, so there's something about the discipline of it and the devotion of it that was really instilled in me. And at the same time, by the time I was probably about 14 or 15, I was leading worship in youth group and, you know, getting to cultivate that part of my development, which of course had a very particular flavor of being in the evangelical church, which I am, which I am no longer part of that, you know, part of that world. And yet I my journey over the last few years has actually been really reclaiming that, I guess, you know, spiritual history and, Mm. and almost the, the capacity and the love I have for, you know, Chase and I were, my partner Chase and I were just talking about this the other day because we're, we're crafting an experience coming up that's going to be about really learning to activate the voice and, and connect, you know, longing to, to, to voice, to song And I just, the language that came out that he actually said was like, this is the shape of your devotion. For me, connection with the divine connection with myself really comes through and is expressed most, most profoundly through musical just exploration. Uh Yeah. And I am not very familiar with 
many different types of organized religion so that evangelical can, I'm not trying to go, you know, deep yeah, down yeah. the evangelical rabbit hole, but like, are you guys go to a church and it, are there a lot of songs involved? Like what, when you're getting yeah. in the mix with this youth group, what uh-huh. were you doing? Yeah. Music was a really big part of it. And I think it, you know, the evangelical church as, as we know it today is not actually all that old. We're talking about a couple hundred years that that particular expression of spirituality of Christian spirituality has even been around, but it really did. And a a very beautiful part of it is that it's steeped in this, like this devoted worshipful quality where, you know, God, which in that context is seen as, as something other than us is, is worthy of, of our, of our worship, of our adoration, and also is available to, you know, to comfort us, to, you know, maybe answer the prayers that we have to help us, to heal us, all of these things, right? So there's this, there's this, in that tradition, this, this really beautiful way of expressing our, our longing and our devotion to God, but Mm. also asking of God, you know, to, to, to come with us or to be with us, to, to help us to heal us is really a really big part of that, that kind of spiritual tradition. And so, you know, a church service would, you know, include some kind of sermon or lecture from, you know, a pastor or preacher, but would also have, especially in the kind of church that I grew up in, that was what we would call a charismatic evangelical church where there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, yes, expression. So that, you know, the music is very, you know, it's not clinical. It's not like we sing this song, it's chorus, verse, chorus. It's Uh like, there's this very intuitive, very improvisational quality to it. And, and then in that particular context, there's also a lot of emphasis on the development of, you know, spiritual gifts, like the, the, the ability to, you know, to see intuitively or to connect with God in, in, certain ways where you could hear him speak to you. And again, I'm using the language of that context, right? You know, because God is considered a, you know, that that's the language that is used. Right. Um, and, and so my personal journey involved a deconstruction of that faith tradition in a way that initially was a, re- a rejection of it and, and very much a pretty painful, not in a, like I got hurt kind of way, you know, my journey of, of leaving the church wasn't like I got burnt, I got hurt or or anything like that, but it was still really painful because it was, you know, at, at the time, I think I was about 25. So, you know, most of my life had been spent in that particular context and in, in a way of seeing myself, seeing the world and seeing Mm. the divine through this particular lens. And for that to crumble was a shattering of identity and a real loss, which I was choosing. You know, I, I, I I chose to, to go down that path of deconstruction and yet it was a profound loss. How did the deconstruction begin? Like, had you set an intention to, explore other ways of connecting spiritually or how did that start to No, it was really, you know, I, I married my partner. We got married quite young. We were 23 when we got married and I had the, the context, the spiritual context that I grew up in was very much about certainty. Like you can know for a fact that this is how it works. This is what God is like. This is 
what happens when we die? This is how you must live your life to be mm. approved of by God, Got right? It. Very kind of dogmatic in that way. My partner, on the other hand, who also had come up in the Christian tradition, but had just always had a more mystical understanding of it. To him, it was much more just open-ended and, you know, we don't really know for sure, but this is what I experience of God. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go with that. He was definitely a catalyst for me to just start asking questions that Mm -hmm. I had never really allowed myself to ask because they weren't safe to ask, you know, in that context, there's, there are ways that you are allowed to think about things and ways that you are not. And so I, you know, kind of slowly over the first few years of our marriage was able to become both more open-minded and open-hearted. But in the end, that really did lead to a place where I just, I looked at some of the the ideals or the beliefs of, of the evangelical container. And I just couldn't, I couldn't be bought in anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, things like, I mean, the big one was like, okay, there's people going to hell and there's people going to heaven. There's people that will be forever in, in communion with God. And there are people that will be forever separated from God. And I just could no longer accept that as a reality. And, and I did not at the time have the spiritual maturity to sift through and see what still did make sense. I had, I felt like I had to just kind of reject it all. That that makes makes sense. sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And so the question coming up for me and all of this, the church that you all were going to, was it the church that your dad was? No, because at at this time, I mean, I was married and living in America, but growing up when you were growing up, was Mm -hmm. it, were you attending the church that your dad was? Okay. Mm -hmm. So he was at the helm, right? No, 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 he was not. He was just one of the, you know, one of the people in the church that would sometimes like, you know, be the, be the worship leader, which just means the person that's facilitating the, you know, the songs and the, you know, that part of the, got it, the service. Okay. So I know I'm going to ping pong a little bit, but for some reason, my, my attention is going back to the childhood part and the music part for a Mm -hmm. moment were your, so you or the oldest of 10 kids, is yes, that, right? that is right? I read that, I think on your website or something. I was like, I didn't know that. That's very unique. Yeah. I, there was one family, um, where I grew up in Indiana, I was very good friends with this girl named Sarah and she wasn't the oldest. I think she was the, the third oldest, but they also, there was a family of 10 siblings and they converted this old barn in the middle of nowhere in Indiana into their home. And I just thought it was the coolest thing because the very top level of the barn was the gymnasium and Mm. there was a rope swing and like the setup of the house. Like it was, it was just the whole thing was a very unique situation when I would go to play with them or hang out over there. So were your siblings also brought into music and given those? Okay. Yeah. I think that pretty much everyone in my family is plays one or two instruments Hmm. and sings. We all have had some varying levels of involvement in like church leadership and and music at that level. But a lot of my siblings have, and some still do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I still have several, several younger siblings who are involved in the church and are, you know, part of music in that setting. Okay. And, you know, as we're friends, I know you'll let me know if like 
no, this, talk is, about. this is actually fun. I don't, I don't really get to talk. I mean, I haven't talked about a lot of this in a long time. So. Okay. Cause yeah. I'm just really curious. Cause in our time, you know, we're playing guitar and talking about things, but we haven't had these discussions. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, Ooh, I'm just <laughs> super curious as you were starting to have the realizations about the evangelical ways and you're, you know, with Chase and in your partnership and all of that. Was there ever a time where there were certain pauses with relationships within your family dynamic as well as you were sorting your way through this? Or was it, were you able to stay connected even though yeah. you were disconnecting from yeah, the church? I was. I mean, I would say that, you know, my parents and and potentially some of my siblings have, have certainly been concerned for me over the years. And my mother in particular, you know, is is feels the space and the right to, you know, share that concern with me, but it's been in a really healthy way. And I feel like my family has made a lot of space for my journey. I've been really open about my journey and it hasn't, you know, I, there are so many people that that does cost them their relationships with their families and it hasn't for me. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have any idea of what one of those reasons is that you guys were able to maintain? Because I'm sure there's people listening who have encountered or are currently sitting in a situation where maybe they do feel a rift and they're wanting to, you know, mm-hmm. close that gap or how, yeah. how do you think you guys were able to do it? I mean, I do think that there probably was more tension initially, especially as I was in the stage of my deconstruction journey that was very almost, almost like recreating what I had experienced, which was the dogma of, you know, this is what you must believe. And this is how you must, you know, be to, to be in right relationship with God. And then swinging to the other side of the spectrum where it's like, no, that's wrong. And this is what's right. And, you know, being very earnest and, and probably outspoken about that. And so I think that there was more tension in the beginning where I just didn't have the spaciousness myself to see like, you know, I was in the the painful part of like, that is no longer me or that's how I would have spoken about it at the time and, and didn't have a lot of grace for like, okay, this is, this is still their, their world and their understanding. And, and so over time, the softening actually needed to happen in me uh-huh. to, to really hold and return to, and, and there was never a break in relationship, but to return to more intimacy and to more like, oh, I, I, I want to be seen, but I also need to see you. Right. Mm. And I think that becoming a parent, you know, I began my, that journey of, you know, deconstructing quote unquote, before I became a parent and my oldest son is 13. And there's something about becoming a parent that just I don't know if this is true for everyone, but certainly many people that I speak to, it is true for that you begin to see your own parents in a different light and you see the choices that they've made differently. You see the struggles that they've had differently. You see how many double binds, how many fucking double binds there are as a parent where you're just like, you really, you can't win. You know, there's, Mm. there's just, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And I just really found so much more spaciousness and compassion, especially for my mother. She raised 10 children, homeschooled them on a farm. Like, you know, the, one of the most devoted people you'll ever meet in your life. And my experience of her when I was younger was that, you know, she was 
she was really, you know, controlling or fearful. And, and now I can just see how loving she was, Mm -hmm. you know? And I also really have been able to, to come back to the perspective that in, in the place that she's in with the belief set that she has, which I once had, that would deeply motivate you to be, you know, if, if I believed that my son or my daughter, if they didn't have or choose a certain belief, a certain set of parameters for their, for their being and doing that they would be eternally separated from God and, and suffer in, you know, a place of actual physical torment, which is what so is it's pretty terrifying. It's pretty terrifying. And also like, you know, we can say all we want about, oh gosh, that's, you know, such a terrible thing to believe. But if you really believed that you would do, you would stop at nothing to make sure that that didn't happen to your child. Mm -hmm. Like I would, you know, I would, I would just be so deeply motivated. And I think my motivation would be love. Mm -hmm. You know, I love this child so much that I don't want this to happen to them. Mm -hmm. Right. So I've just been able to re contextualize Mm -hmm. as a mother myself and And yeah, I mean, there are definitely boundaries that have had to be made and conversations that have had to be had. And yet it's really been more about softening than it has been about like defining, if that makes sense. Like there was a period in time where, you know, I would say to my mom, you can't, you can't talk to my kids. This was when I, when I just had my older son, but you know, you can't talk to him about God. You can't try to, you know, get him to ask Jesus into his heart or, you know, all the things that I was worried she would do if I left the two of them alone. Mm. And I had to let go of that. I had to surrender that, that controlling impulse in me, which doesn't trust that if my son was exposed to that idea that he wouldn't be okay, you know, cause he will, and he has, and my parents have absolutely had those conversations with my kids, but my kids have a million more conversations with me where I get to like develop and cultivate a a different and deeper perspective. Mm. Okay. I love that we're just on this little path, (laughs) this train track, because yesterday or the day before, whenever this week I was, you know, starting to do my preliminary feeling into potential questions and flow, you're the the third interview out of all of my Ceremony Circle interviews where the, the instruction was really like, don't put much on the piece of paper and just talk. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of laughing because every time that's been the guidance, they're all people I'm sitting with that I would classify as, and I, I'm not sure that you use these words. So forgive me if they, you know, they're just not what you see yourself as or classify yourself as, but all the interviews where it's like, don't formulate questions, just talk. They're all shamans and medicine people and people that walk the shamanic way, which I was, I don't know. I just had that clarity come in yesterday, which I thought was kind of interesting. And so that was kind of what was leading me into this next curiosity that I had now learning more about your upbringing And, you know, I haven't known you that long, but I, from the time I first met you, which, where did we first meet? Actually, I think we met at Devana's birthday. That's right. At the hotel. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I just knew that I enjoyed you and I enjoyed your presence and I enjoyed your embodiment and your energetics and essence. I could just feel your depth 
and your groundedness and your clarity and maturity. There were just a lot of aspects that I felt very instantly with you that I enjoy and enjoy being around. But again, like I really felt just the, the medicine woman and in you. And so do you view yourself as any of those things as witchy or shamanic or medicine woman-y <laughs> like, and if so, you know, when did that, those textures, when did those textures yeah. start to come more alive inside yeah. of you? Language is such a tricky thing. Yeah. I mean, for sure I can and will identify with witchy because you know, despite the context of my upbringing, my mom was like the OG, like, you know, didn't take us to doctors, like just potions in the, you know, in the pantry kind of like, Oh, Mm. I know what to do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, we, I just grew up with in a very natural environment. Yeah. And so, especially by the time I had my own kids, I was like very, I was very skeptical of the, just the medical establishment and a lot of the just ways that we are taught to distrust our bodies and our own, our own wisdom. And so witchy, yes, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm a trained herbalist and very, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a a, a hippie for sure. You know, I, I have struggled so much over the years to connect with certain kinds of language that, you know, like shaman or healer or anything like that. And, and at the end of the day, you know, I just kind of, <laughs> I mostly just avoid the, <laughs> I avoid the use of language because, uh, you know, of describing myself and maybe, maybe to my detriment, but you know, the journey for me has been, I'll, I'll just give a tiny bit more context in sort of the in-between yeah. of my, my deconstruction, which was so painful and such a loss of identity because so much of how I mm. experienced myself was through that form of expression. So I actually went really dormant. I went like, I actually went numb and I went dead. Yeah. Even though I needed to shed those layers, I didn't have something else. And I wasn't yet in a time of my life where I could be held or be mentored or be like brought into something Mm -hmm. that would sort of help create like create some definition Mm -hmm. in that transition. So I just went like super dormant. I didn't even play music except for very occasionally for years. And when I did, I felt so like cold and disconnected because I didn't know how to express myself in any other way than to God. Wow. Right. Wow. That's pretty trippy. Okay. That's yeah, that's a big deal. It was a really big deal. And I see where you're going in this trail now. Yes. So I, I spent several years that way. My, my oldest son was born. I will probably get emotional. My oldest son was born in like, just, you know, his name means fiery one. He came to me in fire. He just brought fire into my life. And I was not in a place of my life where I had, I I was, I was post the, the, existing construct, the pre-existing construct I had for any kind of spiritual growth or capacity. And I was pre Mm. the discovery of some of the things that would come down the road. And I was just in this, this vacuum of 
anxiety, really like extreme disconnection from, from my own body, from a sense of self, a sense of belonging, all of the things. And I spent the first few years of my relationship with him just in a very conflictual, like aggravated state. I keep hearing or seeing the word friction. Yes. Friction is a really good word. Really good word. There was so much friction in our relationship. And when he was four, we had another son and, and, and even just the journey of making that decision was very Mm. fraught for us because we were, we had, and this, you know, this wasn't just my experience. It was also my partner's experience. We really got pushed under like hell, you know, heads under the water, held under kind of, kind of experience for several years. And Hmm. it was really frightening to think about making that choice again to have another child. But we, we really knew we wanted to, we didn't, we didn't want to have just one child. And so we made that choice. We got pregnant again and, you know, long story short, and and we don't have to go into the detail of that story, but my, our second son was stillborn at Mm -hmm. full term at 42 weeks. And it, it was like, it was the most, like horrifying experience of my life and the most healing experience of my life all at the same time, like Mm -hmm. the six hours between when we knew that he was no longer with us. And when he was born, Mm. it was like this just cataclysm of awakening Mm -hmm. and everything that had been numb for so many years was like, Oh no, we're back. We're back online. And I had this moment in that birth experience. And I'll just tell this part because this was, this was the moment that changed everything. I, I was, you know, at, in the hospital on the triage bed, there was this whole comedy of errors where we were like, it's still fine. They're, you know, they're just having trouble with the equipment. And then it was like the moment came where it was like, no, he's, there is no heartbeat. Your son is gone. And I, in my mind, I felt myself standing at the edge of a cliff and Mm. I knew I could go over and not come back. Like I knew that I could not be okay. You know, that I could like, you know, maybe a, maybe some language for it would be like, go crazy or, you know, whatever, however you might describe that. But I knew that that possibility was there. And I felt myself just like, just leaning, like actually wanting Mm. to just fall. Right. Let it all go. Just let it all go. And I had this experience that, you know, in that moment, there was so much going on and I, and I, and I didn't have even a, like a prefrontal cortex online at that point. You know, I literally felt this presence just pull me back. And, you know, there was so much happening that, that I might, my, my labor had actually stopped at that point. The doctors were saying, you know, we're probably going to have to induce you, blah, 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 blah. It's going to be a long, arduous process, all the things. And I felt this divine presence just literally like pull me and hold me. And I stood up from the bed that I was on and my, my labor just resumed very powerfully. And 
my son was born about five hours later and without any intervention, without any, you know, any piece that was, that was on the table as, as being needed. And what followed in, in the months that came was just that I was no longer numb. I was no longer asleep. And I began slowly to like call back these different parts of myself. And I was in a, in a place in my life where the right kinds of support started to come in. And I began to like feel it's, it's so ironic. It's so paradoxical, but I began to feel alive again. And Mm. one of the beautiful first gifts of that was that my relationship with my older son was was really significantly healed in that period. And it, and it was at a point with him where my, my perspective on my relationship with him was, it's just going to be bad. And we just have to grin and bear it and like, hope we don't fuck him up too much. You know, like hopefully we'll, hopefully he'll go to college someday and we'll be like, you know, and, and it was, it was all me. It was, all me again, coming back to the softening, like my resistance, my control, my fear was, was 100% what was in the way. And so Rowan, which is the name of our second son, his, his birth and his death were this, just this awakening. And it began the process of me, not just awakening again to, to life and to, to like presence in my life, but to a re-engagement with a sense of spirit, a sense of the divine, Mm. a sense of like, this is a piece of me that has been lost. And I have, I have, I turned it off because of fear. Mm. You know, it's like, I wanted to leave the system of fear and I just recreated a new system of fear, Mm. a new way of this is what's right. And this is what's wrong. And I have to be in, you know what I mean? I'm seeing it and feeling it. Yeah. Whoa. These are powerful portals. It was, it was the old, I mean, birth is, is the ultimate portal, but it was, it was truly just a completely life-changing experience for me. And so in, you know, coming back to your original question, that was kind of the, the background that is sort of necessary to, to express, you know, what followed, but that began in me a process of, again, like I said, the, the spiritual journey again, but also the journey of being with people in their journey. And so initially what that looked like was, you know, and, and, and we were very, we were very open about what had happened. And so there were a lot of people that knew our story and knew what had happened and people just started coming out of the woodwork with, similar experiences, needing and wanting support. The, the sort of first part of my journey was I became a doula and I started supporting women specifically who had experienced loss and were so afraid to try again. Mm -hmm. Um, just couldn't Mm -hmm. imagine how they could even get through that experience because of the just latent fear in their bodies. Um, so that, that was sort of the, the gateway (laughs) for me. And, and then over the years, 
you know, the more I experienced myself, I've just, I've just encountered that I, I just like to be with people in whatever the big moments of life are. And my personal evolution and journey is always, there's always something new that I'm exploring and it, and it often seems like the people in my community or the people around me are wanting to explore those same things. And so it has really looked so different over the years. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. and that's kind of what I feel like my journey has been. And even my gift is to just be in the, what, what's emergent, you know, for, yeah. for me, for my community, for mainly women that I've worked with. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what I call myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, I like occasionally when I feel called to have these types of discussions, I think for a million different reasons, but I like to hear, mm-hmm. you know, from, from other people, what their journey has been in terms of attempts with human languaging to yeah. explain and define and mm-hmm. help people, you know, especially, you know, cause not trying to get into all the nuances, but just, especially when our work is, you know, for of service for the public and people, yeah. you know, want to know how to find you or what your website is or what your offerings mm-hmm. are. And, you know, on and on and on all, all the threads that we could get into, but it makes total sense to me learning more about your trajectory and the, one of the visions as you, and thank you for sharing. Well, mm-hmm. I was so deeply moved by your share. So thank you so much for offering that up for all of us in that medicine Oof, was so felt. And what the vision that kept coming in as you were describing that portal was, and does Rowan mean anything? Does, is there a, yeah. So it's, it's a Gaelic name and it's actually the name of a, a tree that's, that's native to, you know, the Scottish Ireland range of, of the world. And so the name really just means the tree, but the tree is this, it's actually part of my tattoo, even though it's not colored in, but it's this tree with these bright red berries. And so it actually, similarly to our first son's name kind of means like fire or, you know, red fiery Mm, bush. Beautiful, beautiful. And yeah, the vision in that share just kept seeing you like, allowing yourself and being ushered into this field. I just kept seeing you in this just big field and kept hearing the word like freedom and liberation like it. Mm. And that's, I guess, kind of the take and the feel that I continue to have of you and in growing my understanding of just how you hold space and how you interact with people is, yeah, you know, you went through those stages of like learning and then deconstruct collapse and then being Mm. in that collapse. And then you got brought into this field that's just open and, um, and gives you the freedom and space to not feel like you have to define because it was intriguing, especially with the titles and the name thing after having gone through what you went through, I could understand how it would not feel in alignment for you and your journey to again, see yourself through a very specific identity. That's actually a really interesting point and and something I'll, I'll think about that because I do think that that's true. I think that I, even as 
the last few years has have really been about reclaiming all of these different parts of me. I have just really seen myself as these many parts, Mm -hmm. you know, and at the end of the day, the word that I probably feel the most comfortable with to sort of describe the range of the kinds of things that I, that I offer is like just facilitator. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. I, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like it's just, I just like to create the spaces where it may be me that is offering something. It may be just a completely organic exploration. It may be someone else that is, you know, it, there's just a, that's what I love to do is create and like curate opportunities for people to go really deeply into themselves. Mm, So beautiful. Hey fam, popping in here super quick to remind you that my best-selling Animal Power book and card deck are both available and out now. Animal Power book is 100 animals to energize your life and awaken your soul. It's a deluxe compendium of power animals. So anytime you dream of an animal or have an animal continuously crossing your path and you're wondering why is this animal showing up so much for me, just pop into my beautiful book that also has a gorgeous full page color illustration of each animal to learn its wisdom teachings and meaning so you can more deeply understand why that animal showed up in your life. An animal power deck is super fun to work with. You can pull a random card to see what animal has a message for you that day or ask the deck a specific question to see what clarity might reveal. Both animal power book and deck are available everywhere books are sold. The book has been the number one new release in shamanism and many other categories. You can also get them from my website. And when you visit there, allisoncharles.com backslash animal power. That's A-L-Y-S-O-N, allisoncharles.com backslash animal power. You'll also receive a free video drumming shamanic journey that I personally guide where you can meet your current power animal. I appreciate your support so much. And now back to today's show. I think before we change course a bit, if you're open to sharing my only remaining question is how were you? Cause I, I know both your kids and mm-hmm. little, little Etney came after Rowan. Yeah. And so how were you, what's one thing that you can share that allowed you to courageously get back into a place of being mm-hmm. willing to get pregnant again and give birth again? Yeah. It's so it's so impossible to even put words to, but you know, in many ways it it was a journey that happened over many years, but in, in another way it happened in the birth of Rowan. And it's so hard to explain. That's why I said it was both like deeply horrifying, you know, just on a physiological level, the trauma of that is, is so significant, but it was so healing. And part of what happened in that experience was, I'd had a very challenging labor with my first to, to the point where I was really left with this sense that my body doesn't work like it's supposed to. And this isn't, you know, I'm, I'm broken. Birth is not something, Mm. you know, I did it, but like by the skin of my teeth, like, you know, that this was not, this is not really possible for me. And the way Rowan's birth happened with such ease and like this, like just this quality of, of love and invitation and presence 
and just the way the, the power, like the power of how my body worked and how he came and even how quickly he came was this, was this redemption Wow! that I, it's so hard to explain how it was that in the midst of, you know, the, the bigger picture of, of loss. And yet it, it just was like, I, I trusted my body mm. and I didn't mm. previously trust my body. Gosh. Yes. And I also like in that process, part of my spiritual journey after that was this awareness that like part of the wisdom of that was the design. And, and I, and I, and this kind of language is so tricky because if there's anything I'm, I'm trained in and understand, like, you know, the last thing you say to a woman who's just lost a baby is like, everything happens for a reason. You know, that's like, we don't say that, you know, and I can look at my experience and see that it was by design. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm, so I don't mm -hmm. even wish that it didn't happen. Right. As, as fucked up as that might sound to hear or to say. Right. And so my journey afterwards to coming to the point of, and I lost another baby after Rowan before Etni. Wow. Um, at 14 weeks. And I, I just had been like schooled in the most embodied way that this, like, you are okay. You are safe. This is by design. I've got you. I've got you. Meaning like I am held by mm. the divine. And so, you know, Etni was born at home. There were many people that were like, why would you take that risk? You know, why would you, why would you even open the door to the possibility of something like that happening again? And I knew in my heart of hearts that even if that were to happen again, which I didn't think or believe that it would, you know, and there wasn't any medical reason to think that that was going to happen, but that I, I was held, Mm. I was safe. Mm -hmm. I was okay. And I didn't experience fear during my pregnancy with her or my birth with her. I just didn't. And, you know, there were things, there were things that I did and, you know, and I, I worked with a therapist for a period of time and, you know, did some somatic experiencing and, you know, there, there were various things that I did, but it was, it was really just that on this foundational level, I had experienced that it was okay. Yeah. Wow. It's, yeah. So beautiful to hear and uh, richness and knowing it's hard to put words to this, is, yeah. but the the possibility through this divine web, the possibility that through a full term stillbirth and through a next then miscarriage, irony is not the right word, but that those two experiences are what led you to trusting your body. Yeah. Yeah. The paradox. It's a paradox. Yeah. Um, but so incredible. And thank you for, you know, for anyone that this storytelling and, and share is allowing, you know, I can feel it's allowing people to expand into a greater mm-hmm. field of, of what's possible, whether through this exact theme that we're talking about or th- through anything in life. So, mm-hmm. wow. Okay. And so... 
because we're now using the word embodied and embodiment organically in the conversation, I would love to at least start to scratch the surface with you because as I told you, <laughs> anyone listening to my show has heard two words, the most embodiment and integrity. Yeah. And I know that that's something that I did see on your Instagram it says embodiment facilitator. So, yeah. you know, those two words are words that do feel in the realm of comfort for you to identify yourself as. Yeah. So I would love to hear from you, your perspective on what embodiment even means. Yeah. That's, that's great. <laughs> You're like, okay, you said this will be a scratching of the surface, right? Yeah. I, I think we can keep it. Well, it's not going to be on the surface, but it doesn't have to be like, you know, super long. My experience of embodiment does come from my journey with loss and the, you know, the modalities that I've trained in and the personal explorations that I've done have all, were all catalyzed by that journey. And contextually, you know, you've heard about my upbringing, but I was very disconnected from my body, my entire upbringing, you know, so much, you know, sexual trauma as a child, sexual shame in that context where, you know, you're, there's just a lot going on there. And, you know, I, I started having, I started binging and purging when I was about 14 years old, which was something that continued until my late twenties, extremely disconnected from mm -hmm. my body in in a, you know, to the point of dissociate, like very, I had a lot of dissociative patterns and, and behaviors. So part of when I described going numb, it was like, you know, between when I deconstructed my faith and when my son was born, there was just this, like, I mean, not even present within myself, like truly checked out of the human experience and, and, and the experience of my body. So experiencing something as visceral and somatic as a stillbirth, where you literally, you literally, I mean, you know, to, to use very graphic language, you know that you are pushing a dead baby out of your body, right? right? And you know that what you are taking and receiving into your arms is like, th there's a somatic quality to that, that is, it, it's in it very, very intense. Mm. And what has transpired over the years for me. And I'll share a little bit about, you know, one of the, the main modalities that I use and the, and the lineage that it comes from is this understanding that, you know, we use the, we use the word embodiment so gratuitously in our, in our culture. And it can, it can mean anything from like self-care, which is amazing. Yes. Self-care, but to use to use the word embodiment for a self-care practice is, is a conflation of things that, you know, it, are, is not, is not necessarily what is really happening there. And then all the way to the other end of the spectrum, the language that's frequently used about embodiment is, is what I would describe as becoming aware of the body, right? Which is a very important part of that process but it's very different from inhabiting, right? To be aware of the body is very different than to inhabit the body, to actually be present within the body. And so in the, the lineage that I'm trained in with an incredible woman named Judith Blackstone, she, you know, th this understanding that to embody ourselves is actually not just to embody our physical body, but to also embody 
our mind and our heart, mm -hmm. right? So those three aspects, the mind, awareness, the heart, emotion, and the body, physical sensation to actually become present within those three things mm -hmm. is the, is what embodiment is, right? And so of course that, that is, and can be an elusive thing. And are we, are we at any point fully embodied and fully, you know, inhabiting all of those qualities or aspects of ourselves? I mean, probably not, you know? Well, I think it's so important to even like, even that part of your training and facilitation is so of service because it, in this real time moment can allow yeah. listeners to be like, huh, how connected truly, how embodied, how much in true, I don't habitat am I yeah. within my heart? Okay. Let me, let me check that. Let me tune into that and get really yeah. honest with myself with that. And how much am I really with the mind and how much like really yeah. going into those three areas and seeing which feels the strongest, which feels yeah. the weakest, like for sure. You know, do you find that, it's when certain emotions or like if a certain childhood wound, the little leftover ooze, when that gets pressed mm -hmm. on, that's when you eject, yeah. you know, like what, what takes you out of embodiment the fastest? Like there's so much to explore yeah. even in that so part. Much. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, I mean, it's, that's a lifelong journey. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to be really clear, what I'm describing is a journey that I'm still on, yeah. right? Even as someone that holds this space for other people, I'm, I'm even right now in a process of doing some of that inner work that is like a new layer that is hot and heavy, like Me too. up for healing yep. and real <laughs> intense and makes you question like, what have I been doing? Do I yeah. even like, am I, am I embodied? Do I ha have, I like just any of what I've been doing or thinking or trying or believing or being like, is it real? Does yeah, it work? Like, totally. you know, so much of that. And so yeah. let's just, let's just get real about that. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I'm, I'm sure I've shared in mm -hmm. some, one of the episodes, like, I, I think to a certain degree that that type of like, just unadulterated, like wild questioning, I feel is healthy. And yeah. I allow myself to go into those waters too of like, you know, am I really a shaman? Do I really know anything of mm -hmm. anything? Do I, you know, just like questioning in the broadest scale yes. yeah. of it all. So I get it. Yeah. Keeping that ego in check. Totally. <laughs> Which if we don't do, yeah, yeah, it will happen to us. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think, I, I, the other part that comes with the, the questioning is I'm really okay. If in that questioning, I get clear that I don't know anything yeah. or I'm not really a shaman. Like I'm really okay yeah. with all that I previously thought about myself mm -hmm. going away. Yeah. Or that even just some part yeah. of, of what you have cultivated is no longer of service. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm really at peace with that and I'm yeah. okay with that. And I'm okay with, yeah, certain disintegrations and realizations and being unexpectedly guided over into this other place and letting, and in being taken there, this mm -hmm. needs to go, you know, just thankfully it feels really good to let myself be in that place. So let's do, let's do one more thing with embodiment. Is there a, 
and I know it could be different for every person and, and what you're sharing might not work for everyone or whatever, but Mm -hmm. is there a certain practice or ritual, like something, if some, if this is resonating and someone's like, I'd really like to get in a stronger current with this embodiment thing that they're talking about, are there certain practices that can start with? Totally. And I can, I can share one that is kind of, I would say very foundational to experiencing that that distinction between awareness of or inhabiting Mm. oneself. Right. Because when we, when we, when we come from the place of awareness, what, what it actually does is it actually creates more distinction between the mind and the body because we, we are trying to become aware of the body, but the mind is the, the awareness. Got it. Yeah. Right. So we're actually (laughs) trying to, we're trying to separate the mind and the body Mm. when when, you know, and, and it, the, you know, the metaphysics of it doesn't really matter. It doesn't actually really matter what you think or believe about what, you know, what a soul or a spirit is, or, you know, how it comes and how it goes. And if it chooses to be here or if it's, you know, all by chance, like it doesn't really actually matter. And yet there, we can experience that there is a part of us that certainly is beyond what is just, you know, here incarnate, Right. And what's incarnate is absolutely this body, but also this mind, these thoughts and this heart, these, these emotions, these feelings, the, like the infinite range of emotional expression Mm -hmm. that, that we have. Right. And most of us tend to live on the level of the mind. So it's very easy to think about the body or think about our feelings and, and come from that angle. So yeah, there's, there's some really simple practices that kind of help you come more from the body up. Love that. Because it's, because that's not where we have the muscle memory, you know, maybe that I didn't pun, pun not intended, but you know, that's not where we have the familiarity and the comfort level, you know, we're, we're more comfortable staying on the level of thought of awareness. Right. And, and for some of us emotion, Okay. Yeah. And do you want to share that practice for the closing practice or do you want to do it yeah, now? Yeah, I can share it for the closing. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let me just look the few things that I did put down. I just want to check and make sure I'm not leaving. I think I, I'd like to come back full circle to anything music related mm-hmm. because I know, again, with you being able to hold both ways of theory and classical and I don't even know the right verbiage and but then the way where we work together where it's like God channel through me you know Mm -hmm. um so for folks because it's a ceremony circle and so many people are having additional awakenings and probably being led into sacred song. What does that even mean? That speaks to me. Just anything you feel compelled to share that could potentially open that curtain a little bit for people to lean in it. Cause I'm sure for some, and even for me, you know, even in the time since we have, you've started giving me the guitar lessons, like there's been so much evolution in various ways, even including when I was there last time and I was like on the drive here, I was seeing myself in the studio and all of a sudden I'm feeling led to recording and playing around creatively in recording some type of music. But I think a lot of people get stuck with like, I'd love to be able to sing and I love medicine songs and sacred songs, but like, 
how do I do it? What even is the first step? Like, I guess I would recommend, you know, not that you have to have an instrument, but I love sitting at my altar and whether it's a rattle or a drum and maybe starting with that. And then for me, I find that the current of words or humming, the sound starts to, to enter in from a place of using an instrument. But yeah, what could you share along that? Well, I think what's so beautiful about music is that it is a powerful tool for embodiment because it, it can really bring us when, when we're not just, you know, being performative or in our heads about, you know, how we sound or that kind of thing. It actually really brings us into deep contact with ourselves. We're actually creating resonance from within the body, right. In a way that, that has the ability to, to access and bring together those different qualities of who we are, you know, the physical sensation, the emotion and the awareness. Hmm. So what's really cool about music. And like you said, you know, you might not be a guitar player or a piano player or have, you know, any kind of musical technical ability, but you can pick up a drum, you can pick up a rattle, you know, you can even, even if you know one chord on the guitar, as you've already learned, you know, (laughs) playing that one chord, you don't have to be doing something complex for, to create sort of the, 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 the drone, the background, you know, and in every culture around the world, music is used. And oftentimes it's just drumming, as you know, to induce state. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is what the evangelical church is so good at. They're so good at creating these experiences where the, the music and the quality of the, the sound and the vibration is very, very, it really affects people's state, right? It gets them into this place of tenderness, into this place of being able to access their longing, into this place of being able to express themselves in a way that they may not be able to do in other, you know, you just wake up in the morning and you're like ready to do that, you know, to express in that kind of way. It's, it really does take a cultivation of, of state. And so I'm also a big fan of just grabbing a drum or a rattle, doing something very simple and seeing what, what is inside that wants to be expressed. You may not think you have a a good singing voice or even know anything about singing, but what is, what is the, you know, if you can connect with, and and we can do this as part of our, as part of the practice, but if you can get to the part of your experience where you are connected to emotion and Mm. maybe, maybe it's something like love, right. Which is, which is a very powerful way to experience oneself as part of God, because that is the fabric of, of God, right. Of this, this essence of what we're all made of and come from. Right. Or it might be something different. It might be that you are feeling fear. It might be that you are feeling deep sadness so what, what is the, like, what is the sound that that sadness or that longing or that love wants to make? And maybe it's just like a note, maybe it's a word, maybe it's a word and a note, maybe it's movement that sort of mimics what the sound feels like mm. in your body. Mm-hmm. Right. And something like a drum can provide that, that rhythm, that, that layer that gives it a little bit of like drive, a little bit of catharsis, a little bit of like impact. Right. And, and then from there, you know, the beauty of a practice like this on your own is 
it doesn't matter how you sound or if your voice is matching other people's or if you're in the key of G, you know, it really doesn't matter. This is, this is you, this is your expression. And there's both no, no limitation. And, and there's also like the limitation of just this moment in time. Like, what is it that you are feeling in this moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's such a beautiful world. The singing musicality instru- instruments, like mm-hmm. it's just such a glorious, sacred world that, you know, I fully invite anyone listening, if it's been speaking to you where you started and stopped and you've been thinking of starting again, whatever the case might be, like if it's knocking on your heart or soul, like I'm there additionally at the Mm -hmm. doorway, like inviting you back in because it's just so healing, you know, it's healing for self, for all others, for all living beings, for the energetics of the, this seen world and the unseen worlds. It's just like, it's truly so magnificent and potent and medicinal. And I'm just so grateful. Thank you for Mm. being my teacher. I have so much fun in our guitar lessons. It is. And you really are just such a skilled teacher. Every time when I get home, looks like he, he just, he looks like a little kid. He's like, did you, you know, he home from your guitar lesson, honey? And I'm like, yeah. And he's, he always asks like, how, how was, how was your lesson? And yeah, I, I think I always just say the same thing every time. I'm like, she's just such a good teacher. And, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily know why other than I just love how you work and I love how you work with me and it's just working so well. So I don't know what, great feedback. Thank what you. it is. I don't know what you're doing, but it works so well. Well, it's, it's been, it's been so fun to bring, you know, the, the cultivation of what it means to hold space for someone in a journey and to be with someone in the cultivation of something that they desire and, and then to bring like, you know, my, like you said, professional experience and, and like bring all of those together. It's super fun for me. So good. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm loving it. Okay. Now feels like a good time to do the practice that you want to share. Yeah, let's do it. So what I think would be cool to do is I'll, I'll share like just kind of a foundational practice and just just a, a short version of it that will be a good way for people to experience kind of what we're talking about with the, that distinction of awareness and in, and inhabiting the body and then and we'll we'll end that with connecting with the heart and from there and we can and you can participate you can, <laughs> you can do this with me we'll just see if there's a sound if there's something that wants to come through and nice. express and we'll just play with that a little bit great yeah and I brought this, which is a, oh. yeah, this is actually a really great example of the kind of instrument that like, you do not need to be a anything to mm. play this. This is called a Shruti box, which is basically like a compact harmonium, which is what they use in like kirtan and things like that. So it just makes this beautiful, beautiful drone sound. You know, I've been in the presence of a mm-hmm. Shruti box mm-hmm. countless times at Kirtans yeah. and I've actually um, chipped in for Sadi Simone's birthday a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, his sister, a bunch of us friends chipped in to 
to get him one and uh, I've never played one. And, th- and it's something that to me, it looks hard. I'm just like, yeah. oh, I wouldn't know the first yeah. thing to do with that, but yeah. it's kind it's, of easy. It's very easy. So there's, there's a, of course, with all instruments, a range of complexity, you know, you could do a lot of things with these keys or you could do what I've done where I have this to an open C tuning. I just have this is a, a C, this mm. is a G and this is a C and I, and you could just play that oh, and that's do n- how you determine the chord. Uh-huh. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could change nothing. You could just pump the bellow the entire time and, you know, hum saying whatever you wanted to do to that. You know, I can go like this, you know, and, and make different sounds. but you don't even have to do that. You could literally just leave it right here and just pump and it. Just pump it. Just pump just it. Just pump it. <laughs> and it's it has such a deeply like a drum, a deeply resonant quality that especially if you're playing this, you know, this is right next to my chest. So I'm feeling this resonance inside. I feel it too. Yeah. Totally. So, you know, not that everyone has to go and buy a Shruti box, but if this is something that you really want to explore and you're like, hey, I'm not a guitar player, I'm not a piano player, and I'm maybe not necessarily going to be able to get lessons in the next, you know, in the foreseeable future, this is a really beautiful way to... If you can squeeze your fingers to your palm, you you too can be a Shruti box player. Yes, you can. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so what we're gonna what we're gonna do first is, and I'll just guide you, um, in just first an introduction where I want you to actually let me hold this so that you can place your hands just on your on your lap. Yeah, so feet flat on the ground, and then hands on your lap, and I want you to to first feel that you're aware of your hands. So you're thinking about your hands, you're aware of them, you notice the texture of your beautiful dress against your fingers. Maybe you notice if your hands are tingly or maybe a little bit, you know, a little bit sweaty, a little bit cool. Maybe you feel if there's any movement of the air in the room. Just noticing whatever you notice about your hands. Just stay with his observations for a moment, noticing if anything shifts. Now I want you to feel as if you are inside of your hands. So it's almost as if You slip your hands into your hands, right? Your hands are a glove and you slip yourself inside of those gloves. You feel all the way into the tendons, the tissues, the bone, the blood vessels, all the way into the core of your hands, palms, your fingers. Just noticing what it's like to be inside of your hands. So not thinking about your hands. See if you can actually drift down into your hands. You are your hands.
And now we're going to do the same thing with our feet. Just first noticing your feet on the ground, maybe wiggling your toes a little bit. Maybe noticing the texture of the carpet. Feeling whether your feet are cool or hot. Feeling into all four corners, your big toe, your little toe, the arch of the foot, the heel. And now just like we did with the hands, see if you can slip inside of your foot. It's almost as if you were pulling a sock or a slipper over your foot and slipping into that interior volume. When we connect with our bodies, we're often connecting with the surface of ourselves. We're experiencing ourselves from the surface. But there's an entire internal wholeness, an entire internal coherence that we can access. And feeling all the way into the tendons and the bones. and into a quality of self. What does it feel like? Not about ego or identity or even about Allison or about Melissa, but a sense of self that you experience as your feet. You might find that it flickers, that you feel like you're inhabiting your feet and then you're somewhere else again or you're thinking about your feet again. It's totally fine. And one of the beautiful things about resonance, about sound, is it actually helps us to find that internal coherence, that internal resonance. So even right now with the Shruti box, you can feel the vibration in your body. And you don't just feel it on the surface. You don't just feel it around you. You don't just hear it in your ears. You actually feel it in every cell of your body. So let yourself feel the resonance of this sound in the center, the core, the very, very deepest innermost part of your feet. Feel that you are this resonance. And now in this practice, we, if we had more time, we would come up the body slowly, up through the legs and up through the pelvis, through the belly all the different nooks and crannies of ourselves that are neglected, that are absent. But today we're going to come up into the heart. And we're going to feel that we are deep inside, deep inside of the heart space. You can imagine that 
Your body is a temple, your heart is a temple, and you are sitting inside of the temple with nothing left out. Noticing your breath as it moves through the chest, as it moves through the heart. Allowing your inhalation to bring you deeper into contact with yourself. Our breath is our resource for contact with ourselves. Feeling the breath even into the back of the heart space, into the shoulder blades, the bottom of the rib cage, all the way up to the shoulders, the clavicle, your breasts, the bottom of the front of your rib cage. Allow yourself to inhabit this space. And again, if you find that you are thinking about your heart, thinking about your body, just see if you can let the thinking mind rest on the breath. And let it drift downwards, feeling the merging of awareness emotion and physical sensation instead of distinguishing them or defining them allowing them to become one and see if you can slip even further into the center the subtle core of the body of the heart And here, you can attune to the quality of emotion. It might be love. Love is a beautiful quality to attune to here in the heart space. But if something else is present for you, you can attune to that. Maybe there's some tenderness. Maybe there's sadness. Maybe there's fear or anxiety. And you can welcome it, whatever it is. In fact, whatever it is, allow it to amplify, allow it to circulate with your presence here. It's safe. Whatever that quality is, see if you can begin to feel its shape, to feel its expression. Maybe it's joy. Mm-hmm. 
anything you want to add to our whatever you're feeling in your heart Is anything you want to express <clears throat> feel like a lower like a could do that all day I feel like I know me too just for hours and hours and hours <laughs> just for hours and hours I agree so nice it was what a journey very shamanic journey-esque for me wow I don't remember already a lot of the parts of it but at one point I was like on this like pirate ship oh <laughs> yeah you took me on a, on a voyage matey <laughs> Yeah, ahoy. Yeah, it was like I, I could truly feel like the waves and the movement of the water and mm -hmm. the movement of the big, big boat, the big ship. That was intriguing. Oh, and there was something very interesting with the heart.
heart space. I really loved my heart. Mm. That was just so nice. Yeah. Even just that to go into my own heart and be like, I love the presence of my own heart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was such good medicine. Yeah. And that's what's available in, within us, you know, Mm -hmm. like that medicine, that kind of healing, that kind of presence is just available. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, and another, I'm getting like little glimmers of that journey. Um, with the feet, yeah, the, the, the word or whatever that came up for my feet was ready. Mm. I I thought that was interesting. Ready to go. Ready. I don't know. But yeah, the heart space was so nice. Like the altar of my heart was like, it was the lighting was deep and dark. And there were a few like candelabras with like white candles and the wax, like Mm -hmm. they'd been on for a while and there was a lot of wax that had gathered. Like those candles had been lit many a time. And yeah, just like the, the thing that stood out the most was the lighting. It was, yeah, it was like almost like deep in a dark cavern, Mm. but it didn't feel scary at all. It was very warm and just the God goddess presence was so there everywhere and all the fibers of it, but the lighting was deep and sultry and just the flickering of a couple white candles. And I was also surprised when I went down and, and back into the farthest reach of my heart that I could go. I was like, Whoa, like it's so much depth. Yeah. Like it just, I was like, Oh wow. I didn't realize how much space my heart had. Yeah. There were yeah. just so many realizations totally. in that journey. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, that was incredible. I hope you all enjoyed it too. I also hope if you were driving, you had the wherewithal to not do that. <laughs> to <practice>. not do <laughs> I always try be to be a disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. I try to say that before. <laughs> I just kind of forgot for this one, but hopefully you all by now know the drill to come back to it when you're home. Anything else to close that you feel? feel anything left unsaid that wants to be said. And hmm. I know here in Austin, you and your husband, are you guys, you were married. Yeah. yeah okay. Cause what you said partner earlier and I was like, I didn't want to say wrong by calling him your husband. Yeah. I call him both. Okay. <laughs> um, I know you guys uh, are cultivating various experiences on your land and yeah, just any offerings that you would like for people to know about as well. Yeah. I do various you know, retreats and journeys and circles and things with women. And so there, uh, we haven't talked about this, but you can find me on Instagram, but I'm not really on Instagram, but it will lead you to be able to get in touch with me. So there, you know, there are a number of different things coming up specifically in September, I'll be facilitating and, and my husband Chase will be doing this with me, a, a workshop that's designed specifically to kind of go through the somatic exploration of activating voice and really connecting with longing. And, and the word that for me as a reclamation is prayer, right? This, this way of, of connecting with and finding expression for both the gratitude and the longing. And in some cases, the, like the request, right? The aspect of ourselves that is like, please, I need help, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. which is, which I know we, that place. Well, <laughs> I know, yeah, I know that place well. And so really, really connecting that idea of, of expression to, to voice. And so in a really sacred, but also fun way, we're just going to take people on a journey of really getting 
comfortable where it'll be, there'll be some actual like, you know, vocal techniques that we use and different somatic practices to get people to a place where they feel really comfortable using their voice Amazing. and singing. And, and then the intention of it is to co-create a really beautiful communal expression of longing in a, in a, in a musical way. Love so, that. Yeah. That's coming up. And you, you envision doing that like at various times moving forward. Yes, that will be a, a you know, a, okay. an ongoing In case, offering. cause you're, you're going to be in my season three launch of ceremony circles. Yeah. So by the time this airs, if you're missing out on the September offering, you know, you can still yeah, go yeah. to it'll, Melissa's it'll come website. Around. Yeah. yeah. There'll be, there'll be more times and I most likely will be there. So can Yay. hang out with both of us and anything else you want them to know i'll put your your website which is melissareeves.com yeah. right but she, like myself she spells her name in a unique way so it's m e l l i s a yeah i've never had any melissas before in my life so um, yeah it's actually mostly just an inconvenience <laughs> <laughs> it's just people con constantly calling me and be like the email address you gave me didn't work it bounced back and i'm like it's because you took it down wrong <laughs> yeah it's because you've never attempted to spell a name like this yeah. it took me a few times even knowing how it's pronounced and stuff i would still yeah. write i would still put two s's in. yeah yeah that's um, what people do. So yeah, I'll put that in the show notes and in the Instagram post about this episode coming out so you can easily find her. And yeah, just thank you. Thank you. What a fun conversation. It was a delight. <laughs> Such a... You dug up all the old stuff. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I'm glad I got to learn more about where you, where you come from. And when you sent me your bio, there was some information there that I had previously not known that I was like, that I entered into today's conversation, you know, about Rowan. I was like, wow. And I read that. I was like, okay, I did not know that. That's big. And, and yet I learned so much today myself. So thank yeah. you for your honesty and willingness and yeah. vulnerability. Thanks for making the space. Mm -hmm. And thank you all for co-creating the space with us and joining around the fire. We've got little cookie dog here holding her little nose in between her two little front paws. She's just the cutest little dog. I always love when <laughs> she joins in these interviews with us. So thank you all. Yeah. Sending much love and blessings and we will sit with you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Woo-wee. What a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles. So it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, 
If you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.